spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit score grows, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans, like for a car or home. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Bill Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kyrgyzstat, who I would like, they're an animation channel that does science stuff, released a video related to what we had discussed with climate change responsibility. The last conversation we had was about how people often, you know, say, you know, don't, they're critical of, of recommendations to turn off your lights, eat less meat, do whatever the thing that, you know, not air travel as much, or if you do, don't fly first class, so you're taking up too much space. Mm. Because corporations, if you look at who emits the most gases are, driving it like ExxonMobil is responsible right. for a lot of it and it's a lot of the beef industries as well uh and we point out that that's forgetting the demand side ExxonMobil is making gasoline for people to use it, every <laughs> time you eat a hamburger you contribute to the gas emissions of the cow industry yes and and it's you know a corporation is uh impacts and is the size of hundreds of thousands of millions of people an individual's size of one so saying that hundreds of thousands or millions are bigger than one is kind of a silly comparison it's like, you know, don't don't take responsibility. Like the planet Earth is contributing more than you are. So it's not, or, you know, the species of cow is contributing more than you yourself. It's just not a fair comparison. But they made a video sort of addressing that in more detail, which I thought was interesting. That's cool. What's it called? It's their most recent one. It just came right. out like a day or so ago. So cool. I don't know. Um, but the thumbnail that got me was something it was something related to personal responsibilities. Like, should you is, is it your fault that climate change is happening? And the thumbnail is like, it's not. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I got to click this. Uh and but then the punchline is it kind of is? No, the punchline is that it's not. And I think they raise an interesting point, which they don't come out and say directly, but the thesis at the end of it is what can the individual do? It's basically vote for structural change that will that will affect the meat industry and raise the price of things and do all of this. And so what they don't say is vote for the changes that you won't implement on your own, <laughs> which I actually think is true and right. It says... Take one day a year where you're feeling especially moral and are oblivious to the consequences and don't understand them and commit yourself via a politician who is going to make the meat that you purchase more expensive, the air travel that you fly more expensive, you know yeah, I mean? the gasoline, the more gasoline expensive. that you want to drive more expensive, will, will, which well, will reduce your consumption. That's why California gas is so high priced. Everybody mm-hmm. is baffled that the gasoline's so high here, but it's because there's an additional tax that's trying to push people to electric cars. Mm-hmm. So everybody votes for the politician that they know is going to put that in place and then hates that the gas prices yeah. are high. And, and this video does earlier point out other things that, that it's not just driving, it's, it's the asphalt on the roads, it's the thing, but, but none of it addresses the fact that, look, if you just decide that you're going to live uh, off-grid and not use a lot of 
the things that other people get, get so used to. Yep. You can dramatically reduce your carbon footprint such that if more people went that way, it would have an impact. But what they say is instead of having necessarily the willpower to continue to do that and the unenforceability of other people not matching you, vote for politicians who will force you to behave in a way which you will not do right. on your own and force other people, which I think... Why not I do th- both? Well, I think... Like, you could do that. You could say, listen, I'm going to eat every factory farmed animal that there is, and I'm going to donate to lobbyists who outlaw factory farming. But instead, you decide to not consume the meat. Yes. Well, I think with their, it, this is from an effective, effectiveness standpoint. So if all you care about Got it. is- so, Just to clarify, it's not a prescription for an individual to- Be more moral. Not no. care about what they do and then- only care once a year when they vote. This is going, if I can get all of the people to do one small thing, which one small thing is going to move the needle? Got it. I guess it's kind of like saying, if you really, really care about this issue, spend your time trying to get governmental change rather than trying to convince individuals to change. Mm -hmm. So like Greta, if you're trying to solve global warming, don't worry about persuading the masses. Worry about persuading government officials or worry about getting the right government officials in office. Correct. Okay. So it's not, it's, it's not to say that people should just (laughs) be completely ignorant to the impact of their actions. It, it stayed rather agnostic on that. It, and in fact, I think had the effect of saying, don't worry about that because that's small beans compared to, which I thought was a really unfair comparison, which is the, you know, your climate footprint is so small compared to Exxon Mobil. So don't even sweat it, which is, that's just, just not a fair it's the point that I just made. That's, well, that's make, millions of people versus a single individual. You can make that argument about anything. Listen, you not owning slaves on your plantation is not going to change, make slavery yeah, yeah. illegal. So just own the slaves and beat the slaves, but get government change. It's like, well, maybe don't have slaves, but also go for government change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it seems it seems obvious that if you're aiming for the most moral, and, and they would probably agree, the thing to do is to, uh, and I actually think it's important and under understated, but I've said it before, if you're unwilling to go through the experience of personal transformation and experiencing what that sacrifice feels like, you're unlikely to make long-term systemic changes that are effective because you don't understand the challenges involved in getting from totally comfortable doing whatever I want to less comfortable I mean, living a more thoughtful life. It's cliche, but it's Gandhi's most favorite, uh, most <laughs> famous quote, right? Be the change you want to see in the world. And and you can still aim at systemic things. And I was I was moved by that last piece, which because when I think of how do I implement personal change, it's not by setting up the willpower to like go to the gym every single day or it's it's by trying to make one sort of decision that commits me forward. So what we've often done in the past is I'll say when I'm, you know, whatever, say that it was a gym thing back in the day and I was feeling like I needed to put on muscle or something, I would contact you and say, hey man, I'm going to go to the gym four times a week. I'm going to do German volume training. And for every day that I don't do that, uh, I'm going to send you $50 via Venmo. And so I would make one decision that forced me, <laughs> that that kept me on the hook financially for the rest of the time, yeah. rather than just going every day, I'm going to see how I'm feeling and try to do my best because that was harder for me to, to stick with. So I see how that if you can only get people having watched a video to make one motion, it, yes, it's probably to vote in a certain direction or sign a petition or something like that. But it is, it's also a bummer to think that that's the uh, civic involvement and the global awareness we can expect from the population, even though it's, I think, a totally practical and correct assessment of people at large. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, makes sense. I also just Googled this because as soon as I said it, I said there's no, this was just so pithy and it's said a thousand mm. times. It's probably not even true. <laughs> it's not actually what Gandhi said. Apparently what Gandhi said, which was summarized into that, was uh, <laughs> it's not what Gandhi said. all the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found in the world of our body. We but mirror the world. Mm-hmm. And then they summarized it to that. And as I said it, I went, this quote's really good and I've heard it a thousand times. I should probably see if it actually <laughs> came from Gandhi or if I've just heard it's from Gandhi. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Check your sources. Gosh, who even knows if those sources are true? Let's, <laughs> let's not spiral into that again. Uh, yeah, so I don't have a ton today, but I'll, I'll and then I'll do mine. Well, I have one that's, if that's it's related. Similar, yeah. So I wanted to talk about uh, it's kind of just business related, profiting off of other people's ideology. Because we just got dinner with a guy whose friend, he, he, sorry, he's a friend. His acquaintance, he said, was not the most moral guy. Very, very money motivated. Was running a recruiting company and recently switched it to a recruiting company whose mission in life is to solve inequity in the workplace. And he said, this guy doesn't believe a word of this. But when he made that switch, he instantly got a ton of coverage, started making a bunch of money. And I thought that was really interesting that- So like, you know, we need more diversity. We need more women. And it's a recruiting firm that that focuses on uh, what is the- the recruitment du jour which is we need more women in high levels more minorities at high levels and yeah. that's and that's how they branded their so he goes to companies and says which was a hard pivot from what was not working for their business where are the guys yeah. that you were by the way we're like the white guys that you come to <laughs> if you need a minority executive person of color executive female executive or whatever whatever position you're looking for we've got that because we're solving the world's problems of my bank account doesn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they go on to news places and they talk about our mission since the day we were founded was to solve this problem. My my buddy's just like, this is not true. They had a different company name with a different mission. They switched to this. This was not what they had when they founded it. And I just thought that was interesting because it probably happens all the time that there's these opportunists who just see what the ideology of the day is and then go, how can I profit myself off of this? Oh, for sure. Yes, yes. That is uh, perhaps even more common than genuine believers that, that are involved in business. Like who's who's more likely to search the top of any field? Somebody who's a genuine activist and believer and wants to see change but is secondarily interested in business or somebody who is primarily interested in profiting and self-promotion and PR yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just is, is tracking what's going on. Yeah, I, I bet most most of them are are opportunists yeah and and in terms of like well why does this matter because either way they're doing a good thing not if what you're trying to do is help people who were disadvantaged because they're going to do the thing we've talked about a hundred times which is just they're just going to find a person that checks the box but grew up in a wealthy neighborhood and they're going to get that person the position of power which is not if you if the ideology was your goal you would look for the intelligent people who never got a shot because of their disadvantages growing up and you try to figure That's out how to position That's not the that. ideology of the day. I agree with you. If 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 solving inequality uh, at the individual level and looking to individual stories of unfairness were your goal, that is what you would do. But inequality is now perceived as a group phenomenon that is best understood as group averages, but not every group average because we're not interested in, you know, that homosexual men make more than heterosexual men. There's only certain group averages we're interested in and we need to raise those up and other ones can be ignored. Well, this is kind of what I'm saying. It's like they're just going to help the people who check the box and we're going to make 300 grand a year that that might go up to 350 grand a year. And so mm-hmm. the net demographic median income might go up in statistics without actually helping anyone who wasn't going to be well off anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens because they're, they're just trying to make their own money and they've only picked up this mission 
as it suits them. And by the way, as soon as the temperature changes on this topic, they'll just throw it away and pivot again. Yeah. They're not going to stick with this once it's less profitable. Yeah, I've become less a utilitarian as my as I've like started college and you ex- or you're exposed to utilitarianism. And it's got a couple of problems, which is like, hey, if we all vote that we hate that guy, can we just kill him? It's yeah. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, he bothers me 10 percent and his life is only worth 100 percent. So we mul- out multiply him. So there's a lot there are issues that are just you, you see right away with utilitarianism. Yeah. But as time has gone on, I, I've seen that long term when you when you uh, judge the morality of something by the immediate consequences of the behavior. What you ignore are the long tail consequences of not acting from a place of awareness, concern for others. And you simply go, oh, that worked out okay in the short term. That must have been a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as I've gotten older, it's I've judged more of moral action uh, from the intention. Not entirely because you can still have really good intentions that then get busted upon, like, delivery. But, yeah, that it's uh, – it's not enough to go, oh, well, it's working. That's that's what we wanted anyway. Forget the fact that they're totally selfishly motivated. It's like, no, down the line, that selfishness will reveal itself in, in some sort of negative outcome. And that's not what we want to encourage. We want to encourage. It seems like the best way. And then the conclusion of that where I get to is the best way to have a better world is to teach kids thoughtfulness, <laughs> awareness, and have that become baked into the way that they see the world as opposed to getting A's, profiting, all those other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. American way. The American way. <laughs> what did we do growing up? <laughs> Straight A's at any cost. I did have another business thing. If you want to hop from sure. business to business, this is just, you know, we often talk about entrepreneurship and we talk about, oh, what should you do? Look at the things you're good at and look at the things that are interesting to you. But there is another model we never talk about. And I was reminded of it when we are, we're moving to Malibu. I think we've already said that. So we've been going through trying to do leasing stuff and get insurance and movers and uh, it's all terrible. Mm-hmm. It's all really poorly done. And it's all begging for someone to come up with a newer, more tech-focused solution to doing this. Everything from finding the home to signing the home to the paperwork. And it reminded me that a really, really good strategy if you want to start a business but you don't know how is just carry a moleskin journal around. Yep. And every time you find yourself frustrated or inconvenienced or a friend complains about something, just note it down. My friend... Um, he started Hims, which is that mm-hmm. company that started by just saying, I don't think guys want to go to talk to their doctor about the fact that their penis isn't working. Like, yeah, yeah. They probably would just like to get it, their Viagra shipped to them without having to drive and then also have that embarrassing conversation yeah, yeah. with the same doctor that knows them. It's much better to just do this with, with a FaceTime stranger. Did he write that into his moleskin one day? Do we think? Is that, I mean, is I'll that tell the, you, I don't, think, I don't think he had erectile dysfunction. I think yeah. he just noticed a market inconvenience. Certainly someone near him. Uh, I mean, there's no right. That's the Moleskin way. Yes, yeah. is to go. And he, by the way, is absolutely slaughtering it. And, and, and no, and that, I'm not. I don't mean that to, uh, to insult him at all. It's just like, yeah, he carried his Moleskin. Well, I think his dad was a doctor. Him. So I actually think his doctor there might have been go. talking about, or his dad might have been talking about, like, yeah, got, people hate this conversation. Uh, I don't know the exact origin story, but it just made me realize as I was going through this process, like, this sucks. If I didn't have a business and I wanted to be an entrepreneur, there's a hundred opportunities to just fix just this renting a new house Mm -hmm. problem and i think a lot of people go through and they're kind of they're waiting for like that idea that just seems so obviously the next tesla change the world type thing it's like no you could make a hundred million dollars if you just solve inconveniences for people well some of them i mean and i was even grateful for the things that were so we had like these 30 page pdfs that still some people will have you 
sign using Adobe Reader or print out sign and scan. And thank God for DocuSign, which yeah, yeah. like that 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 saved me. I don't have a printer. You know what I mean? I got to go to the store, print it out. Uh, that and, was just one thing that went a bit more smoothly yeah. than everything else. No, and that's my point. DocuSign wasn't made by a guy. We always talk about, what do you think about in the shower? Because that's yeah. what worked for us. It's yeah. like, oh, I was thinking about charisma. Well, some guy wasn't in the shower thinking about how much he loves signing contracts. or it's just He just had to sign a contract one day, or maybe it was a lawyer that signed a bunch of contracts and went, this sucks. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I can make this suck less. And making stuff suck less is a really good business model, I think. And the reason we don't often talk about it is because it doesn't work for us. Because what you need in any business is the ability to stick with it for an mm-hmm. extended period of time when you're not enjoying it. And I'm just not made that way. Yeah, we talk about two types of people. We have a serial entrepreneur friend, far more successful than us monetarily, who can just seize on anything that's a has the potential to be a very successful business. And we're much more down the fairway of like lifestyle design, enjoying the subject matter of what you do, and both work. Yeah. And, and both get get you what you want. Just we had a great <laughs> low low stress lifestyle and he got the you know tens of millions of dollars. I think there's there's got to be moats in that cuz I'm sure we're not the first people to go this real estate thing is broken. The fact that that you can't get in. I know that at least in New York there's this protective cabal of realtors mm-hmm. that have managed to at, this was the case in New York to stand in between you and and the homeowner and it's not necessarily that the homeowner is super desirous of this and certainly not that the tenant is the tenant's like I'll talk to the homeowner some homeowners want to be left alone but that the agents were able to to stay involved and take a, a big chunk of the cut because of technological moats that they built so you couldn't get access to see all of the homes that were on the market they would have these proprietary systems it's mm-hmm. MLS in California that would let you see what is the most updated thing um, so the Zillows still aren't as updated as the MLSs. I don't know exactly what's going on in, in the real estate world, but I do think that there's these these in-betweener professions that have managed to like stave off technological innovation by yeah. agents, agents of almost all kind, I would say, because we also had to get insurance. That for was this. the one that triggered it for me. Because real like, estate, what? I was like, okay, this is going to, everyone knows this is a process and the owner's a wealthy person that doesn't want to deal with me because they don't really care about this property. They probably have several. Mm-hmm. Then I was trying to get insurance. This is an awful experience. And now she's trying to pitch me life insurance and car <laughs> insurance. And we don't even have my name spelled right on the insurance I did want. I'm just like, stop trying to sell me stuff until I've actually received a good service from you. Well, I didn't know this until three days ago is that you can't just buy insurance online. You can't just go like, hey, the this person said that I need pet insurance because I have two small dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the size house. This is this, da, 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 da. Nope. You got to tell that to a person that does that for you <laughs> and then gives you the quote, which was the estimated quote that I just Googled it. Hey, about yeah. how much does this cost of this thing? It was exactly what. No, was- <laughs> insurance is what made me think of it. I was like, man, people are going to come in here with an app. It doesn't require a human, and they're going to kill it. I wonder why they haven't, though, because we can't be the first people to say that. There have to be, I guess what I'm saying is not to discourage anyone out there, and if you do, thank God, but there's got to be some sort of, uh, you know, Uber had to go up against taxi unions and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like there, There's there's barriers to entry that are not just pure market Yeah, forces. yeah, I think Uber's a great point. You, there's stuff to overcome and also billions to be yeah, made. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. If it were easy, it would already be done, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not a $100 million opportunity. Yeah. So that's um, just something I thought of as I was thinking of. Have we mentioned that Uber just pulled the classic? Yeah, they, they did what everybody does, which is come in starting with an amazing service subsidized by all the VC money that they had that was super cheap and highly available. And once they beat out all the taxi cabs, they basically become a taxi cab app, yeah. which is like 
just as expensive, <laughs> just as slow, cost. <laughs> I, I took a just, cab home from the airport. It was just, it was just as cheap as an Uber. It's just an app that orders a taxi for you now, which <laughs> yeah, is really to, It used to be like, you don't have to tip, especially in New York. They're like, listen, yeah. when you're, it's, that was you the whole selling point. Was you goes, look, we Uber flat drivers. fee, we take care of our yeah. drivers. You know exactly what you're going to pay all in. And then, yeah, as soon as they, they captured the market, and then became shittier. We talked about Amazon, I think, video. Is that an anti-competitive practice, by the way? Is that illegal to do? Is to cost cut underneath? And then, because I know that, I believe that is to, to drive people out of business by selling at a loss, which is essentially what Uber did. I don't know. Maybe not easily regulatable, but. Well, Amazon is running commercials now. They like beat out, streaming beat out TV by saying, just pay us and you won't have to deal with commercials. Mm-hmm. And now some of them run commercials. Hulu's got commercials and all that kind of... Yeah, they just... Like, what? This is why I switched to you is because you didn't do this. Well, they come in with unsustainable business models that are that are driven by some advantage, which is Uber has an app, but there were apps. There was a DC taxi app. Mm-hmm. They weren't amazing, but they existed. And, and then where they really crush is on, they just pay for the service to be cheaper and therefore better than everyone else. And then it's not. <laughs> and then all of a sudden streaming isn't viable. You can't spell hundreds. And I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but it might be the case that it's not profitable to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on shows that n- not everybody watches and dump them all on day one. This is the other thing that they've started doing. What we've talked about is that events make more money than evergreen products. Mm-hmm. So it, like this is one of the reasons that boxing and UFC can charge so much for their card is because it's an event. It's a single day thing that you you want to watch live. You don't want to watch it six hours after it happened. There's this weird psychological thing where you think you can influence yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's going well, on. Even even unscripted, watching game when at the height of Game of Thrones, watching it when it mm-hmm. released was a moment, a cultural moment yeah. where people would say, That's my plan is I'm gonna get together with a bunch of friends and watch this show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, oh, I'm gonna go to dinner and then come home and just watch it four hours later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I normally like to eat dinner around then, so I'll watch yeah. it. So, no. no. Everyone, everyone was just <laughs> circling around the TV, planning around it. Oh, I got to run. Game of Thrones is yeah, on. Yeah. Literally, people would bounce from social events, just being like, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. is on in 30 minutes. I got to get home. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the the new model with the boys and, and the Disney Plus shows is back to releasing it once a week. Yeah. Which was, I thought, we had decided we were going to let the consumer watch yes. at the pace that they wanted. Well, this is the thing. What the consumers like and ask for and what they respond to are not the same thing that consumers respond better in terms of eyeballs to once a week releases what they ask for is freedom well disney also just i think said if we release a marvel thing every weekend which was their original goal before covid no one will cancel disney plus yeah yeah whereas if we just drop loki and then the next week we drop black widow and we just do it all in the first three months people Mm -hmm. might cancel so i think part of their plan was people will keep the subscription if we just drip out the con yeah. the content. Well, hopefully, I guess Netflix is still doing binge drops, right? They're still doing, so Witcher so Season 2 will be a binge, which was fun last year. I enjoyed that. Or two years ago, rather. Our Witcher video is absolutely smashing for no reason <laughs> that I can understand. Did, was there, did PewDiePie make a video about our video or something? I don't know. I don't Someone know. please let me know why on earth our Witcher video is going crazy. I couldn't tell you. Um, this is a... a Different thing. I, there was a Jordan Peterson podcast where he had a guy on who I believe is a PhD student, but one of his papers that has gotten a little traction in that world is on luxury beliefs. And it's the idea that there are um, just like luxury items that mark the upper classes. There are beliefs that mark the upper classes. And one of the problems with them is they often affect the lower classes in negative ways. So mm-hmm. one of them would be, and although this is this is held across different societal spectrum. Trickle but, down economics. 
Uh, Trickle-down economics could be one. Defund the police would be another. It's like, yeah, you know, defund the police. I have a gate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no problem. There's no crime here. Um, you think and, that came from the upper class, that belief? Uh, I, well, this is, this is one that he, I think, is widely held in the upper class, and they are not subject to the negative ramifications of it as crime has risen all over the nation, I believe. Yeah, I also think there's a lot of urban areas where people don't trust the police though and would rather handle things themselves. And it's like strongly looked down upon to call the police. Sneeko sure. talks about this. Sure. So I think they also have that belief. You might as well defund them because we don't trust them. We don't call them. We deal with it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Another one has been, and again, this the the causal nature of this, this, this isn't to... Um, say that it's wrong for people to hold this particular belief, but it was just interesting. The idea, the free love, casual sex, um, new types of families idea that is very, you know, open relationships that is, that, that is talked about in elite circles. And I actually didn't agree that it was necessarily trickled down to the lower class. I, I, this is the part that I, I don't think that that was the way that this idea flowed, but the idea that that mentality in elite circles doesn't lead to as much devastation as it does in impoverished circles. Yeah. Like sleep with anyone you want winds up getting people pregnant and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like there's two things occurring. One is there are ideas that when you hold them in different levels of income, they impact you differently, which I yeah. totally agree on or I totally agree with, but the direction that this is heading, like I think free love came from hippies who had no money and the elites at the time hated it. And the hippies were doing drugs, having sex with anyone, free love, don't shower. I agree. And the upper class was going, this looks awful and we hate it when we look down upon it. Well, even more so, just the idea that, like, I don't think that the poor were taking their cues from the sexual habits of the rich. I think yeah, that, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched this and I went, I, like, so I, think, I agree I'm, I'm that that's a different. Like, I'm down with the fact that if you have a universal belief it can impact, have, holding it can impact you differently depending on your income level. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, if we all had a belief that said the first hundred grand that you make should be spent on watches and everyone felt that mandate came from God, it would impact everyone differently. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think that open relationships trickled down from the rich. I agree. When I was watching, I was like, I actually think that, that you're conflating two things here. I think yeah. that there is a concept of things that are luxury beliefs that are Societally prescriptive beliefs that are easy to hold as a rich person. You know, you mentioned trickle-down economics. I think if, you, if you're rich and you have the idea Every of, kid should go to college. Yeah, yeah, every kid You make a million dollars a year, that is not a hard belief mm -hmm. to have. If you believe it and you make 50 grand a year, you have to make immense sacrifices for your family. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I believe that that is a category of belief. It's an interesting thing to look at. And then you mentioned that, and I was like, I don't know that, that this is how people are taking their sexual cues. No, I would, I would strongly... <laughs> listen, I have no data, but I would strongly guess that that's not how that went down yes yes i i agree um but there was a handful of other ones that he mentioned which were like the moral implications he just mentioned you know anecdotal pieces but that i've seen of selling iphones while not letting your kids have access to them for instance while being an executive at apple and saying no 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 smartphones for my kid yeah or yeah. um being a news anchor and not having a television and telling your family not to watch the news or you know what i mean like things like that and we've i was just thinking about this with um I'm guilt-free, baby. I'm getting my kids see you as soon as they're one, <laughs> one year old. That's how they're going to learn English. Well, we've got – this is, was a question. Uh, so we, we dealt with emotion this – emotion is fun. We dealt with this with TikTok, which is – I think TikTok is awful. I think it is really not something that I want to add into my life. I think it would make my life not – and it's 
not that like uh, video games are fantastic or YouTube is fantastic, but TikTok is just a consolidation of the most addictive parts of everything mm-hmm. and a delivery of so little nutrition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's 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 YouTube squared in in that way. Whereas YouTube can give you something, but is addictive. TikTok is very little, give you anything of substance, and is incredibly addictive. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it more moral to say, you know what? There's this thing out there. It's very system is set up to be addictive and we're not going to participate. Or is it, you know what? People are all getting involved in this thing. Therefore, we should be a beacon of slightly better than the rest given the constraints of yeah. the platform. Well, I don't know how we handled it because I wasn't involved in that project. So maybe we didn't do it the way I would say. But mm-hmm. uh, not knowing if we're guilty of this or not, I would say don't push people to TikTok. Mm-hmm. So to create native content on TikTok and allow people who are already I, watching. I don't, I don't think I ever mentioned. I mean, I've mentioned it here, but I've never said, hey, go check well, out I don't know TikTok. if we sent an email. Out. No, I'm trying to get people from TikTok so away from TikTok. So this is my TikTok. thing. Is if you're, if this is how I would have this liked to This is why they down. don't send our videos this, out because at the end of them, I'm trying to get them onto our email list and TikTok doesn't like when you yeah. take people Well, I'm cool with that. I guess what yeah. I'm saying. Like people, if this is how it went down, people are on TikTok, they're just watching dumb stuff and instead they see 60 seconds that's hopefully educational and gets them to stop TikToking and go onto YouTube to watch a full length video. I feel like that's totally cool. That's Got great. It. I feel like if we had been on YouTube and our call to action at the end of the YouTube video was check out our TikTok. It's like, well, now we've taken people to a worse Got it. thing for them. So you don't want to like go to a, a meditation seminar and be like, hey, everyone, you get home, check out our YouTube channel. Nor do you want to go onto YouTube and say, hey, guys, make sure to check out our TikTok. You always want to be moving people, hopefully. You can meet them where they are, but hopefully you're moving them in a direction or encouraging yeah, a direction Yeah, I think if our emotional mastery course plugged our TikTok, yeah. that would be bad. Okay, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. so that's how I think about it. I think that that's reasonable because your other option is to completely opt out of spheres of public discourse and influence if you disagree with the, whatever, the addictiveness or the general tenor of what's what's going on yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you catch someone who's young and can be benefited greatly by our content and you get them off TikTok and onto YouTube and they're mm-hmm. better off. You know, yeah. That, that would be the goal. Yes. I agree with that. Um, one other semi-related thing that was a question that I think I saw on Patreon, but it was a good one because we've talked about it and it's related to this is we mentioned Kant's categorical imperative, which is, it's kind of murky in his writings. It's been a long time, but it's basically the idea that uh, you can assess the moral value of something by willing the universalization of the principle behind it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, is it good to whatever, eat meat? Well, people can excuse that by going, it's just one thing, it's just this, and say, okay, let's try to universalize and assume that everybody in my position was making this decision. Mm-hmm. What would the outcomes be? Mm-hmm. Um and they asked how we felt about like our YouTube channel and our lifestyle given that categorical imperative that we sometimes oh yeah i've said this all the time no 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 single job holds up to that yeah if 100 percent of the united states was farmers i guess if the whole world was farmers we'd still be naked though is the problem you still wouldn't have any carpenters yeah Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't have a house well this is so Kant's categorical imperative which i like to start with is so screwy like i remember reading it and being like this is so it's got a ton of problems but Uh, we've been asked that a lot i mean that's a totally it's like oh well not everyone if everyone made a charisma youtube channel mm -hmm. no one would eat it's like, well, if everyone were a farmer, no one would have a house. The, the problem is essentially how do you define the principle? Mm-hmm. So if I define the principle as everybody should contribute to the job at which they are best, and that's what I'm doing, and if everybody, you know, maybe that's universalizable. If I says everyone should start a 
charisma YouTube channel <laughs> or everyone yeah. should start a YouTube channel or everyone also, should be in, you know. If I thought that 100 million people would implement that advice if because mm -hmm. this podcast get 100 million views and 100% of people would quit their jobs to be YouTubers, I would think long and hard about it. My impression is that that will maybe touch a handful of people who are in, <clears throat> in jobs they hate and looking for a change mm -hmm. and inspire them to go do something that's good for the world and good for them. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm very much aware that most people don't quit their jobs after watching me say that it was good that I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's just an interesting I think I think it's it was a good attempt <laughs> by him back in the day to to come up with some sort of rational based uh standard of morality. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the just the idea of how do you describe my career decision? Is it, like I said, is it a charisma YouTube channel, a YouTube channel, pursuing my interests, uh, finding a way to impact a lot of people positively? Because depending on how you define it, I can I can universalize yeah, it. Yeah, or in leaning a, into what happily, you were most talented yeah. at. Um, or not, or it's a horrible mm -hmm. idea for the entire world. So I forget that that was just making me think of some of these beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, look, am I universalizing this very, very particular belief or something broader than that? So it, yeah. it gets it gets dicey when you try to use that, even though sometimes I do think of, ah, could I? It's an intelligent this, question. It's, yeah. a, it's an intelligent question for sure. It, it just doesn't even, we can't all be doctors. Mm -hmm. You know, it just doesn't hold up with any profession really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and not everyone can be an employee, nor a manager, nor an owner, nor a thing. Yeah. It, there's a lot of differences. Closest you could get is maybe if everybody was totally self-sufficient self on a farm one like <laughs> non-violently non self-sufficient self -sufficient. Yeah, yeah that's like the only thing you could have everyone do and have it work out yeah um but workout would be like living but if they all eat, log if they all eat rabbits then all the rabbits are gonna die you know what i mean yeah <laughs> it's like as soon as you there's everybody it wouldn't people, be good do that wouldn't be good for the progress the technological progress of the world but the yes. hardest part would be getting everyone to just be pacifists if we could just do that part That'd be pretty massive. I even wonder if that's, yeah, if that's universalizable. Because then the problem with pacifism is that there are things that, um, then you run into cultural beliefs of what involves violence. So clearly, like, we circumcise in the United States of America. We take newborn baby boys and we chop off a piece of their genitalia. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying it's exactly the same as female mutilation in some places in Africa, but you could imagine a society that looked at that and said, you are, <laughs> we're going to invade yeah, because you're butchering this, this your violates, children. This violates <laughs> our nonviolence pact. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't like that, I mean, you, there's, there's laws in other places, the way that you would punish stealing is with uh, some sort of capital punishment where you lose a hand or something like that. Does that approach? So pacifism, while wonderful, does break down mm -hmm. uh, because what is considered because of these cultural differences of what constitutes justified violence and what doesn't and then you ask yourself do i have a now a moral imperative to intervene <laughs> in this other way of doing things so yeah i don't i don't know that anything is is universalizable like that even though it's a fun question to ask sometimes um but yeah did you have other stuffs i do yeah so i was uh a friend of mine who i quite like made a youtube video about the woman that runs arc investments i don't know if you've seen her this is very if you're an investor they're the most uh they're the hottest fund right now they got early into bitcoin they got early into tesla their returns have been amazing mm -hmm. and he thinks that she's not that great potentially a scammer not in the ponzi scheme sense but in, in the, the video of, says this yes in the sense of taking advantage of young people who don't know any better and so he made the video to try to make people aware that she's overhyped and not to be trusted. And one of the things that he did in the video 
was he talked about, you know, from, from 2000 to 2010, she only had a 0.8% return over a 10-year period. Her long-term track record was awful. She's just gotten lucky with Bitcoin and Tesla. Mm-hmm. And we're being suckered into believing that she's a genius when she's not. And I went, well, what did her peers do from 2000 yeah, to 2010? Yeah, yeah. And what did the S&P do from 2000 to 2010? And it turns out that that's called the lost decade because <laughs> there were two recessions and no one did well. Yeah. And she was multiple percentage points better than the S&P pre-fees, but post-fees a little bit worse. And his point could have been, listen, over a long period of time, she's going to underperform the S&P and these two things. She's just gotten lucky with yeah, Bitcoin yeah. and Tesla. But in an effort to make his point, he just put up the 0.8% in a vacuum as if it was awful. And I just thought it that was interesting yeah. because yeah. we've talked about this before. Like uh, people who potentially have the right conclusion will try to convince you there in any way they can. And we talked about this with the movie Cowspiracy as well. That guy mm-hmm. has what I think is a great point, which is don't eat cows from factory farms. Mm-hmm. But he lies his way there. And it's just such a bummer because... He doesn't even lie his way there. He has some lies, the framing of which, the, the biggest one is that he frames the documentary around the idea that he was just like checking up some things on the internet. He's been, he's been an animal rights activist for a while. Yeah, and it's, and it, the whole, so the whole framing is untrue. And then there's a handful of points that are uh, unfairly construed, not fair comparisons, that sort of thing. Even though there's a ton of, I'm sure, reasonable contributions. So it's not pure lies. It's just these, these things that stick out like you're mentioning. Yeah, and for me, it just turns me off to the whole message. But I actually mm-hmm. also recognize that I'm probably in the minority. So it's just frustrating because I go, I, I know this is probably the most effective thing for you mm-hmm. if you care more about the ends the most. But yeah, for me, I think it just highlights anytime you see data without context to be very, very, very cautious. Mm-hmm. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. I think that any time you see a statistic or someone using numbers to try to prove their point, it's probably been cherry picked. And and I don't really know what to do with that because ideally you'd like to rely on the numbers and the alternative to relying on the numbers is just going with your gut and what feels right. But it's something I've seen a lot with a lot of issues is people just quote, uh, you know, death rates or whatever it might be without 
putting that into context of other things or other time periods or whatever it might be. So yeah, just be wary, I guess is, mm-hmm. is my continued takeaway because people will just pull out of context. 10 years, 0.8%. It's awful. Sounds terrible. The yeah. S&P did 1%. So <laughs> it's not that yeah. awful. It's technically underperforming. What, um, is that criticism, you know, better than I like, okay, I guess there's Warren Buffett's, but even if you look at Warren Buffett's stretch, he did much better, I believe in the first part of his career. And then his, I don't know how he does. So if you look at the, the, I watched, oh man, I just saw a chart of his career. I think he got off to a, a like a much better start and then mm-hmm. his cruise, but the compounding interest from that has been really good over the course yep. of his career. Isn't this true of most investing and investors is like, nobody knows what's going to fucking yeah, happen. Yeah. Like, yeah, for it's, it's a, it's a weighted coin flip. If you're a good investor is what it sort of seems like, like you're more likely to get it than to miss it. And I don't even know if that's true. I mean, I think there's yeah, a lot yeah. of survivor bias. Sure. We, we well, this talk is, about this. If you get, yeah. a, if you get a bunch of monkeys to flip a coin a thousand times, one of them will get heads a thousand times. And then well, not a thousand times, but you get enough monkeys to flip a coin a thousand times. Someone will get a thousand heads. I think that the odds of that are astronomical. I think what you, what you're saying is if you get enough monkeys to flip a coin buy sell on a particular stock, one of them is going to hit it right every time they're just like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, or, dude, or so many times that they make you, a, a gazillion dollars. Given infinite times, a monkey will type Shakespeare. Like they're just, if you go out to infinity. Okay, yes. Infinity is a very, very big number. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. This is a colloquialism. That given enough yeah, time, yeah, monkeys yeah. will type Shakespeare. Um, but what happens is you have all these people trying to be investors. Someone gets it right. And then everyone thinks that person's a genius instead of thinking that maybe they're just lucky. Mm-hmm. And so then that person proclaims themselves a genius and then they get a bunch of money and they make all their money off of the fees from that money. And so maybe Warren Buffett is actually the exception because investing was actually a little bit different back in the day. It was based more on cash flow, I think, and less based on rampant <laughs> meme-esque speculation. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to argue if anybody is really uh good enough to consistently be right we over a lifetime you've got friends in finance and some of them are doing you know they're all doing well some of them have gotten their picks right and some of them haven't yeah but they all are financially they're all making tons of money hedge funds you get two and 20 so as long as you're managing money you're gonna get paid and so some of your people don't know two and 20 means you get 20 percent of the profits you make for your investors but you get two percent of the amount of money you are managing no matter what so if you're managing a billion dollars you get $20 million every year, no matter what. Yeah. And then if that drops, if you lose half of it and it falls to 500 million, you've lost half of the money for your investors, you get 2% of 500 million. <laughs> so it's bad for yeah, you, yeah. but- you, At no point do you lose money. Not that at no point you. do you lose any money. You only lose potential earnings. And then people yeah. will pull, if you do poorly over time, people will pull their money. Yeah. And that's how you ultimately suffer. But it's uh, it's been surprising to me to see you can do not that great and make a ton of money. Well, this is what you have friends that I think you would say are very smart, very good at this, who made picks that didn't work, mm-hmm. especially in a COVID world. And that's life. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, you can't actually predict the future. You know, like who knew? Even the best hedge fund gurus when I was recruiting said, if you get 60% right, you're great at this. You're great. Yeah. And the skill is figuring out how to sell when you're wrong and hold when you're right. Well, and then also, okay, so take that. So if all you need is 60% to be considered great and there's 10,000 people who are trying, you know, 5,000 of them are going to do worse than, and some of them will hit 60 and we'll say that they're great. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have a couple bad years and we'll go, oh, that's bad just luck. fluke. It's yeah, bad yeah. luck. It's like, well, what if, what if this whole game is luck? And 
you were just right at the beginning of it and that all this technical analysis is obscuring the fact that you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And what you pointed out to me, which I do think is fair, is private equity kind of breaks this mold in finance because what private equity does is it takes a controlling interest in the company that they're doing and doesn't just bet on the future, but similar to how you can stack the odds in your favor to make your company successful. They go, this is my company. I'm going to fire, hire, make changes, change the product line, kill this thing, and run this differently, which stacks the deck in my favor and isn't just a bet of, you know, which way the wind will blow, but is still affected by... They do a lot of things. I mean, private equity is brilliant. They do a lot of things to stack the deck. One, they take a controlling ownership in the fund. Two, they take it private. So they just stop announcing to people what they're going to do for five years. So you Mm -hmm. only see them when they're doing acquisitions and stuff. So they can do whatever they want for a long period of time. And then third, they lever up like crazy. So they'll buy a billion dollar company with a couple hundred million of equity. And then if the company goes up 30%, they double their money Mm. because of how much leverage they've used. So it's a totally different game. Buying a stock using the Robinhood app is so different from being a private equity investor. Mm Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm obviously incredibly biased. That's my history. And I also still have money with them. And it's the best. I, I wish they would take more of it, but they won't <laughs> take any more of my money. Take They're my disinterested. Um, yeah, I mean, private equity seems like the way to go if you're going to be an investor. Which is essentially own a business. Own a business and influence it. Mm-hmm. And and that creates a lot more control. And some, by the way, some private equity companies lose money. Some yeah. co- companies they buy go bankrupt and they lose all their money. Dude, we might... <laughs> we're pri- we're technically private equity. We're privately yeah, yeah. owned. We put put our own money into this bad boy, and then are affecting the how it's run. So, who knows? Um, did you have other stuff that you wanted to mention? Let me look. I'll I'll, I'll while you're looking, I'll I'll uh, cut in right here with a more of an announcement. So, I've been uh, Ben has been running the YouTube channel for a while. I've been looking at the business at a high level and other projects. One of the things we were going to do was cohort based learning. Uh, and so something that I've been sold on, which was actually by a, a CU student who came and hung out with us here on the roof, I wasn't sold on it when he came, but he kind of got me there, was that there's been an evolution of online learning. Started with what are called MOOCs. These are these massively on, uh, something online courses. Your Udemy's, your Skillshare's, your Harvard's that just like dump tons of course material that is basically a video camera of a lecturer speaking. Um, and those were often free or very cheap, the quality of which was not, I mean, sometimes they were Harvard professors, but it was, it was just a video camera of, of a lecture in, in many of these cases. That was phase one. Phase two is kind of where Charisma on Command has lived, which is uh, dedicated online courses that are online first, meaning we understand that this, <laughs> I'm not teaching to a classroom, so that means that we're going to build in things like action guides, like... Um, sequential 20 minutes a day recognizing that you're not going to sit through four hours of lecture because you're not stuck in the room with me so it can only be 20 minutes even little stuff like having animations and text pop-ups that make it more visually interesting to watch that it holds your attention in a Mm -hmm. way that a lecturer just doesn't no he doesn't doesn't have to because if you want to walk out the back door that's awkward yeah (laughs) you're stuck so you fall asleep uh, in the front he's going to notice if you want to hit so all right we're gonna we got to get you to pulled through it visually and by laying it out intelligently. Yes. So that was stage two and that's where we've lived. And so the drawbacks with the first one were the things that we mentioned um, that it wasn't intended to be online. The drawbacks with this one is that try as I might, it's very tough to get people to uh, do 
solo learning. Like solo learning for me, I didn't realize this is how I've always done it. It's, it's how I want to do it. It's how I like to do it. I'm not like a group learner. I don't want that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, it's my preference. Yeah. Having to be, to be beholden to other people's schedules is bad, bad yeah. in my mind. But there's a lot of people that don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that thrive. And I, and I had trouble connecting when he was explaining this to me. And then I saw the reviews of a lot of these cohort-based learning courses that are, I think Seth Godin did one, which was like group MBA, MBA and they essentially take similar to a college course of like starts September one ends this date meets at these particular times, but adds the online element of video calls and gets some of the classroom interaction that you could get assisted by technology. So on zoom, I didn't realize you could do this. You can break people into, um, you know, if you've got a hundred people, boom, 25 groups of four, go do some small group project for 10 minutes. Then we're going to come back and, and collect interactions. There's also these other platforms that are all developing, which are these like virtual online spaces where you control an avatar and like, like a classroom can walk up to certain groups. And as you approach them, their conversation pops into your ear. Mm. And so like there's study rooms and all these weird things. And it's, it's like, that's so hilarious. Cause we're going from, I know, in-person education know. <laughs> to MOOCs to online to education, online assisted in-person, online yeah. in-person. Well, which is like, dude, that's kind of how we evolve. But for me, it's like, I, I'm not personally very drawn to that, but I was convinced by seeing a lot of the reactions to this and realizing that one of the things that stops people from getting change is accountability and social connection, which I always had in you and my friends. Mm. I like, I just, I was lucky enough to have a partner for almost everything. So we were going to do a charisma cohort, started looking at um, some of the best cohorts out there and found that they're incredibly incredibly complex you need massive teams in order to run these things coaches all over the place support because the whole added value of this is not is that it's not necessarily pure scalable like you have to have that interaction with coaches it's also taught live it's also taught live so every time you do it you're reteaching it on zoom you're able to respond to questions in any event we might do a charisma cohort down the line i know i shot a survey out but what we did do is i started working with ali abdal who is a youtuber um, who has got a cohort on how to start and a part-time successful YouTube channel that allows you to make part-time or potentially full-time income. Went through the whole course. I think it's awesome. I told him I wanted to partner with him, so I'm going to be doing workshops on the back end of that. All this to say, if you are interested in this sort of thing, we'll throw in a survey in the bottom of this. Maybe I'll have an email capture in there as well, which is really just if you're interested, what workshops you want me to run. I threw a couple ideas in there of ones, but it is, it's going to be live. So I'm going to be developing this and the slide deck and all that kind of stuff. If you're interested in joining it, um, go ahead, click that survey. If you're not in a pressure, you can drop your email in there and we'll let you know when it launches in about two weeks. Uh, if you, if you join with us, there will be like private workshops that I'm that's what I was going to ask. Are you um, are you teaching to everyone in the that joins the cohort? I'm, I'm or are you teaching some to teaching people to everyone, that join through? Some teaching to everyone, but just also because you know we want the people who found it through us to join through us, so we can attribute sales and then and then split split the the money fairly. Um, there will be private things just to if you found it through us to do it, but please don't try to like get his people to buy through us or anything. <laughs> I don't think anyone would do that. Got it. Um, but you're saying if they buy through our link, there will be a, there will be like a you. yeah, there will be like a a workshop or something that is different. But I'll also be doing some that is for everybody. Got it. Interesting. Um. So yeah, if you I won't be involved out. at all, so you won't see me there. <laughs> yes. So I'll be making videos. So if you're interested in that at all and just want to suggest workshops that I could run, I put a couple of options there. We'll have a form in the description. Cool. What do you got? I said one more funny thing, and then we can cut to questions. Have you seen that there's now a pushback in certain places where they are banning? people from entering their stores if they are wearing masks 
No, that's really? Yeah. Oh, man. It's hilarious. It's so weird because I understand the thought process for I'm scared of COVID. You can't come in unless you have a mask. But the you can't come in if you are wearing a mask is so clearly you can't come in unless you're on my team. It reminded me a lot because I don't want to just pan one side of when I got an antibody test that said you are still immune. You have natural antibodies. And my friend's wedding planner said that's not good (laughs) Good enough. enough. (laughs) You need to get the vaccine so you have antibodies. I said, what do you think the vaccine does? And what do you think this test from a doctor says that I have? Yeah. And my friend just said, listen, man, it's just the wedding planner. Like, it's not my call. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just happening now where they go, that mask that you have that does nothing to harm me, either it is neutral, it keeps me safe, take it off or you can't come in my store. Yeah. Because other people are saying that it's the right of private business owners to demand masks. So it's my right as a private business owner, demand you unmask. Sure. Which and is it is true, but it's just it's so true. funny because it's so spiteful and like yeah. my team only and it doesn't actually correlate it all to to a fear that you have the mask will harm you in some way i don't think unless people just have weird mask phobias so i thought that was really interesting i was like wow this has become all about compliance and nothing about what's safe yeah and it's it was especially clear when we uh, had a visitor from england who came over and was just just so you know i'm not vaccinated please don't think i'm the devil i know that's very common out in california (laughs) but for people our age like that's that's just not how we uh it's fairly common in england to to treat it that way. Yeah, uh, but I it's do just think... It's very interesting how cultural the uh I do think are. that there's a lot of the people who are demanding masks think that COVID could kill them or their employees. And it does seem like demanding to be unmasked is very much a compliance exercise. Mm-hmm. Just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think it's all group. Uh, it's all group affinity based and the beliefs line up to just keep you in your group. Like, do you really... Like, if you, if you were able to run a test... That is, okay, likelihood that someone dies will like stack the other side with an investment of dollars. You would see that people have roughly the same, maybe not perfectly, but the same estimates of likelihood when you, if you force them to put their money where their mouth is. I actually and totally disagree. You think, you think actually, with, with actually money bets? Yeah, if you, yeah, if yeah you I ask, think there's a ton of people that would tell you. So I, I bet so, there's a ton of people that have died of COVID that would have bet you there was a 100% chance they wouldn't die of COVID. With cash, you think they would Yeah, have, for sure. Okay. I mean, they... Yeah, they did it with the way they lived their lives mm-hmm. and then died from it. Well, this is... These yeah. are like overweight people. Mm-hmm. It's This is like, I am I know that I'm 55, overweight. People are telling me that I have what's called a, co- a pre-existing health thing. I'm the person at risk and I'm not going to get vaccinated or wear a mask. It's mm-hmm. like, I think that person would bet money that they can't die of COVID because they're ignoring the data that says most people don't die of COVID, but they will on account of their age and well, no, obesity even, and even, even then their likelihood is less than 50% for sure in, in almost any case, right? I mean, if you want to run this, I feel very confident. I can get a bunch of people who will put money down. The other thing is they won't, they can't lose because they'll be dead. Well, the question but, is the odds, the odds that you'll, if, if you, you know, if you I put down a hundred dollars and you survive, we'll pay you 10 or something like that. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I really actually do think people believe this to their core. Got it. And, and their their betting behavior would match. I think so, yeah. Interesting. Now, I think if you got somebody who was scared of COVID, what they would say is betting-wise with money, I'm going to do certain odds, but with my life, I'm going to do different odds. Bec- you know what I mean? They use that kind of fear of loss thing to say, okay, odds I would survive 90%. Mm-hmm. That's the betting odds I would take, but I'm going to live my life like it's 100% because yeah. I'm not going to even risk a 0.01% of death. Just like, 
you do every time you text from your phone while you're driving a car. Like you constantly make bets that are more dangerous than that. But I think that's how they would justify their monetary bet not lining up with their the way they live. Yeah. Yeah, the the whole thing I just uh you've mentioned it before, the lack of comparison pool of mm-hmm. risk has frustrated me with a lot of people that are uh the, the people, I actually don't know anybody who's anti-vax in my life, so it's all coming from one particular direction in my life. It's all the very, very pro, very, very fearful angles that are, I know just so much riskier with some areas of their health constantly, and it's been a frustration for me to deal with uh, the poor diet and the, you know, whatever, lack of exercise that is that is likely, or the stress that they encounter, which they've done very little about, but then... Uh, behaving as if this is the one serious risk to their health has been has been a consistent frustration for me over the last year but yeah I, but i do promise you it. i do promise you it happens on the other side too where someone sure is just, I just clearly sure. like you are the exact person that covid will kill mm-hmm. and they go no i don't believe you yeah so it's both sides anything it's, else from you or do so you hate us you guys are constantly <laughs> saying that it's both sides line between good and evil runs through every man's heart that's it that's all i got let's go to questions cool Sick. First one is one contrary point I want to offer is the concept of a person uh, I want to offer is the concept of a person selling their future time for money must value their future time as less. Uh, I would oh, rather this is when we were talking about NFTs. Yeah. yeah. So I would rather offer the view that some brilliant minds might need immediate cash at the sacrifice for a future hour. Mm-hmm. For example, a stock might have an aggressive view of the future, but might need liquid sure. cash now. Would you say that a stock doesn't have a good future if they are willing to sell a portion of their future today? So no. I. No, this agree is agree with that philosophically, but that's not who I see doing this. You make a good principal point, which is <laughs> which is that uh, there are people to for whom this makes sense because they need liquidity right now. But I I would challenge you to go like, why not just take money out of a at, as a debt, which is going to be charged you I don't know five to eight percent because. What you're going to pay if you really believe in your own success is if you believe that you're going to appreciate in value faster than the debt percentage that the day the bank is running on you, you're better off just taking out debt, paying off that debt with the money that you're going to be able to charge for your time in the future. And if you think your time won't grow faster than the debt interest, then no one should buy your time. No one should buy your time. It's not going to be worth so that I, much so more. Maybe, in the maybe I don't agree that this is a good principled argument. So okay, let's say you're you're a fledgling entrepreneur. You well, I guess want the to question sell is NFTs. Why? Think about it like a business. Some businesses sell debt, mm-hmm. or sorry, sell equity rather than take on loans. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't want the interest rate. That doesn't make them a bad business. And I agree. Mm-hmm. So can't a person sell, sell some equity. equity in themselves? Sell some equity in themselves. Uh, let me let me think if that comparison holds up. It's, I think one of the reasons, why do businesses do equity fundraising instead of debt? Sometimes they do it in addition for the advisors. They do it, because I guess you can get more money and you don't want as much risk. You want... Well, if cash flow is tight, you don't want debt. Because if you go bankrupt, then you have to give up for tighter cash flow. Whereas if you do equity, you you buy yourself interest-free mm-hmm. money, basically, which gives you more runway. Yeah. And and maybe it's harder to get debt financing if you're just Just to be person. clear, though, what most of them do is they do convertible notes where they just do debt instruments. But instead of having an interest rate, they convert into equity for a certain amount. So they mm-hmm. do... There's these weird... It's complicated. Yeah. That's what I've learned as I've started trying to invest in friends' startups. Yeah. I actually haven't done a ton in that world. So I, I actually don't know. But what my short answer would be yes, but that's not what I see from most people offering this. And it, so is it fair to say that the people who are raising equity need a, t- a lot more cash than they might get from a debt 
financing thing and the cash flow problem. Like if you take, so let's say that you're raising at $200 million and you're taking out 10 or $20 million or mm-hmm. something like that. The repayment on that, the, the percentage that you're going to have to start paying next year, is going to be cripplingly high for a lot of small businesses, yep. which is why equities make sense. One thing I would also say is that the most important resource, if you are successful, is your time. That's the most mm-hmm. important thing for Elon and Zuckerberg and even uh, us with our whatever level of small success we've had yeah. compared to those guys. So a business sells a percentage of their future profits. Mm-hmm. And what they say is, this money is going to help me make so much money in the future that owning 50% of it is still going to make me $100 million. Yeah. But they don't raise equity in exchange for their time. They don't go, I'll, they do it for you give me money and then I'm yeah. going to be beholden to you to go do you time favors. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a different thing. I broadly see what you're saying, but it's, it's and I and imagine that there are individuals for whom this would make sense that are not uh, not believing in themselves. But what we're seeing in the NFT world right now, the ones that we are aware of are people that have audiences wide enough to make you aware of it and cash and therefore can carry these liquidities. Also, even the, or liquid enough. Even the small guys seem to be just raising money for themselves. Mm-hmm. I And maybe... To be clear, there's definitely someone that's going to fit the description I'm about to say. I haven't seen anyone who says, I have this thing that I need money for that I'm going to invest in immediately. And rather than take out debt, I'm going to sell my future time in an NFT. And I'm positive that's happened. And that would make sense to do potentially. Yeah. And then I go, Kickstarter is just such a better way. Kickstarter is amazing. Kickstarter, no equity, no debt. Kickstarter is wild. Pure freaking pre-sale of an undetermined product based on a demo video it's, it's actually amazing that awesome. anyone will fund a kickstarter it's i mean i do it all the time and yeah. quite frankly i'm disappointed I, I fund these games that concepts i like and of course it's much tougher to execute you know well but, the kickstarter is wild you are funding someone with no promise that they'll deliver the product in the future and no promise of profit share if they if it does go well. No, no, you just, you just want get to see the, this in the world. You just get permission yeah, yeah. to be a customer if it works. Yes. But you're paying the whole thing up front. Yeah. It's and actually Sometimes crazy. it's at a discount. Sometimes it's like, look, we're going to sell this for sure, $60 sure. and you're buying it's it. It's a wild, it's a wild. I'm not saying it's bad. From a business owner's perspective, if you need financing, that is the way to awesome. do it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. if, and again, there's limitations on how much you're going to earn with Kickstarter. But so anyway, yeah, you're only capped at like millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if, if you have a good team and a good video and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, there's totally a way that an NFT could be done ethically, but mm-hmm. most of the people, it's just not the same. It's not as com- comparable as you're saying to equity raising in the business, <laughs> but someone might be doing it that way. And maybe it's really smart of them to do it. And maybe it's really smart to buy that NFT. Mm-hmm. I'm Googling million token right now, just cause we haven't, I haven't checked in a minute. Nice. What's it at? It's it did this. It's like got today. It's up a few percentage points. But if you just look at the chart, it's a uh, it's it's one of these. Uh, Any day now, dude. Back to the moon. Yeah. Let's keep going. All right. Next is your whole story of how you quit your job and moved to Brazil really inspired me to do something similar. Cool. I'm a 16 year old living in Australia, and I'm thinking of moving to a different state to pursue my filmmaking dreams and also to get away from my toxic family who are very detrimental to my mental health. Well. I've thought about this for a very long time and don't think I'm being naive. I was just wondering if you guys had any tips or advice, especially regarding social judgment. Hmm. Well, 16 is a lot younger than we did it. Yeah. You are nearly a full decade younger. And I just want to clarify, I did it with the implicit financial safety net of my family. Not meaning that they would send me money, but that I could return Live in their home basement. and sleep on a couch inside and not starve to death, which was very important to 
to know that there was not serious deprivation. Yeah, they would feed as you as a well. failure. Yes, like you could theoretically go blow all of your money, be a complete. Quote, I was. Quote, I failure, just knew how much I needed for a plane ticket home, and then go. All right. It. Yeah. Now I live in the basement. I eat whatever they cook. I kind of hate myself, and I need to figure yes. it out. But you were not going to be off worse off than that. And I was twenty four, fed and sheltered, and that meant like as much as I rag and I think reasonably so on the education, I did have an additional eight plus years of education in school, in life, in college, in all of these other things. So I don't want to say that you can't do this or shouldn't do this, but it is a very different thing that was happening with me. Um, I, I had a much more, I think, capped downside and a higher upside potential partially because, and then I had six people going with me, living home with me, and then four around the city that I yeah. that I knew. So I felt confident I was going to fall back on a six figure job that I hated doing. Yes. So all of that said, what was the what was the question? It Any was, advice, especially regarding social judgment? Social. I don't know that I would. Man, it's. I tough. don't know that I would encourage this decision. I agree. When at that age, I don't know that I would encourage it. Um. Hate, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate, I hate being the buzzkill. But this is this is always a tough question when people say, "Hey, man, I'm my family. No bueno. I need to get out. What do I do?" It's like I oh. don't know the answer. Yeah, I mean, if your family is horribly abusive and you, mm-hmm. my my, I I know people who have emancipated themselves. It's not always a bad call to be 16 and just emancipate yourself from your parents. But it's also completely different from our story. I guess is what I'd say. So this isn't something I can look back on and go, ah, oh, yes, this does remind me of when I left private equity to go to Brazil. Mm-hmm. I think it's a totally different ball game to emancipate yourself at 16 and then move cities to try to do film, which is, if it works, would be amazing, but it's, it's also a tough industry. I guess what I would suggest, and I know this isn't the question that you asked, is if you, what steps you can take to set yourself up to make that more, that leap later. Like, I know you want to get away from your family, but can you develop skills in the meantime also leaving at 16 is like you're not going to finish out high school it sounds like which limits options in the future should you need to pick up a like i was able to for instance uh pick up a sat tutoring job because i completed high school and did well on my sats so that meant i was able to make some cash while i was in brazil just doing a thing yeah i think we've mentioned this when we were in brazil part of how you got by was sat tutoring and mm-hmm. airbnb in your bed yes well airbnb one can do but you, you need money in a bed in order to do it. But SAT, I had to have taken the SATs. I had yeah. to have graduated high school. And no, I'm just saying that wasn't an inconsequential amount of your income at the time. No, it was important. Um, it was it was a, definitely a part-time, but they paid per hour very well because they were rich kids that wanted to get into American colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, in terms of the social, the, the social is the, the least important of your concerns right now. People looking at you funny, uh, I think you need to take a real serious consideration of, Bill payment and providing for yourself seems to be far more important than judgments at this point because that's a serious, serious issue. Uh, I'll answer the question as if you were 24 <laughs> now and you you were doing this from a more stable place. How do you deal with the social judgment of it? Uh, social judgment is it's a friction and it's it's a it's like no, what's the best? It's a uh, and you need an escape velocity once you're out of orbit you're in space no one gives a damn (laughs) so it's like it's only during takeoff that you have any problems when you're thinking about going talking about going that's when you're going to hear all of the complaints once it's booked and you're out nobody in the new location is going to care at all they're going to think it's awesome uh and so 
one, recognize that it's, it's all front loaded and then having at least one other person to go with you and validate your sanity was important. So I had that in Ben, but again, it was a practical sanity. It was based in real, okay, if it fails, what do we do? It like, it wasn't just believe in ourselves. It was, there were if then decision trees that included all sorts of money-making fundraising opportunities under, under bad case scenarios that I don't know that you have yet. I also worked four years, 80 plus hours a week in finance to build a nest egg up before I left. Like I had a lot of savings from selling (laughs) a lot of my time. (laughs) Um, And then I did it, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you're like, I'm 16 for the last four years, I've gotten paid $800,000 working (laughs) and I want to go emancipate myself. I'm like, makes a lot of sense after taxes you probably have a couple hundred grand like go you don't it. need that much to be clear i had 14 in the bank and, i'm and not saying you do need yeah, that but i'm just saying if you, that were the story yeah it's different than i'm 16 i have four thousand dollars i'm gonna move to a city i don't have any family so that money's gonna last me a couple months in rent this is the tough part listen someone will be chris pratt and they'll move to la and live in a van and get discovered at a store and become a marvel superhero and their life will forever be better because they took that shot. Someone else will move to LA to live in a van and be a waiter for their whole life and never get their big break. And so for us, it was just important to say like, what's my upside? What's my downside? And so for you, I just say, what's your upside? What's your downside? Like, what is your realistic worst case scenario? What is your realistic best case scenario? The thing Tim Ferriss talks about is how vague downside can be so scary. So it's like, oh, I'm going to leave my job and then this business might not work out. And then my life will be ruined. And he goes, well, write down what life being ruined would mean. And so for me, it was like, I'm going to have to come back to working again with my college degree and my past experience. And I'll take a big pay cut and have a job. I was what like, would it look like for you having okay. potentially not graduated high school? It's, it's way worse than that. I don't know. I don't know what it's like in Australia. You guys have a ridiculous you know, <laughs> social wage, safety net. You know? So yeah, like yeah. maybe not. Maybe in Australia, you're like, dude, this is Australia. I'm literally, <laughs> they're going to pay me 70 grand just for breathing. Yeah. Uh, that might be the case and that totally changes things. In the US, that's not how it works. We yeah. just let people All live through the cracks. Yeah. shitty yeah. lives. Yeah, you don't have a high school. Uh, yeah. So I guess, I don't know. We're, we're, I feel like we've answered it. We're repeating ourselves. I think it's a different ball game. And I, what I would do is the practical pessimism exercise that Tim Ferriss recommends. And just get crystal clear on what's my downside and what's my upside. For how, do a lot mitigate, of people, how do I mitigate my downside? Yeah. For a lot of people, that leads them to realize the downside's not that bad. But I don't know what your practical pessimism exercise will look like. So mm-hmm. that's what I would start with personally. Cool. Sorry, I'm sure you wanted us to just be like, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. That's not how I feel at your age, unfortunately. I know, I just feel bad being such a, <laughs> such a buzz lame kill. buzzkill. Yeah. Uh, next is having an identity crisis contributed heavily to my most recent depressive episode, but it also gave me the opportunity to rebuild myself from scratch as somebody I like better than who I was before. Nice. Currently, I believe my identity is somewhat fluid so as not to limit myself and who I can be. How important would you guys consider having a static personal identity and why? Oh, zero. No, not at all. That's like the, the root of suffering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, is uh, a view of yourself that doesn't reflect that you're ever changing. So... Even from a Western perspective of like slowly evolving identities, yeah, that's not helpful. But from the Eastern perspective of like there is no you, an identity just gets in the way. Now, but even if you care about achievement, like you're you had limiting beliefs that were yeah, yeah. As soon as you got rid of, quadrupled how much money you were making, mm-hmm. right? If your identity was static, 
that would be impossible. So for, even from a Western achievement standpoint, I would never encourage someone to have a static no, identity. No. I don't, static is the opposite. Now you can use your identity, but that's, that almost involves, almost always involves making tweaks to it. I was going to say, first you got to choose it. Yeah. And then you can use it. But uh, it's mm-hmm. un- very unlikely that just your parents plus genetics plus whatever random events happen to you up till 18 have given you the perfect identity. So, yeah, how important is having static? It's important not to. It's important yeah. to have an evolving identity. Um, and, and craft it yourself. As you're starting, craft it yourself. And then I think as as you are getting more of what you want, then you go, eh, like, do I have to play the identity, the who am I game, the what type of person I am? Because that's creating a lot of suffering when I don't live up to it or in the ways that it constrains me. And you can let it go even more. All right, last one. Um, I'm currently in the process of preparing to apply for law school. For context, I applied last year in the last year of my degree, but didn't get in anywhere, and I'm doing a one-year's master's right now. (laughs) I also live at home and have done so throughout university, and as a result, my mom tries to be in my business. It's gotten better over the years as I've slowly been able to create boundaries, but with these applications, my mom has been really involved in researching schools and is constantly (laughs) trying to talk strategies for writing statements and things like that. I know she's trying to be helpful, but it's kind of annoying and I feel smothered by her constant involvement. How can I take her, how can I tell her to take a backseat in this process so I can do this myself? Hmm. I never had to do this. I was so secretive with my school stuff. Nobody ever knew what was going on. I thought you didn't even apply to your own colleges. No, I applied. They, they were not. Oh, I, I thought your mom did your applications for you. Oh, no, no, no. What happened was my friends applied to colleges, and I copied the ones that they applied to. Oh, <laughs> and, got it. Got it. I don't like, know who. I, I was like, who what's a good, I... you wanted to go here? Okay, I'll apply there. I just I just applied. I didn't want to do the visits. I, I no, kept sure. them out of it. Um, We're so different. Yeah, I kept them out of it. So how can I do this? Well, I mean, one thing that'll help, obviously, is once you're in a different home. That'll be great. Uh, but I hate, I, I hate to be so simplistic. I think it's the way you said it is very adult. And what I might point out is like, mom, this is law school. Like growing up, I'm an adult. You being involved in this is actually not great for my long-term development. Like if I need to, if I'm a lawyer who is having his mother <laughs> write, uh, his personal write his personal statements and talk strategy, I'm not going to be successful. I actually think it would be better for me to struggle with this, maybe even get it wrong and learn yeah. than to take your best answer. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Also, unless your mom is an expert in applying to law school, you're way better off just you're paying. Part, and you might even be better off than her. You yeah. should just get LSAT tutoring and retake the LSAT yeah. and then hire people who are experts at this to help yeah, you. Yeah. There well, are people who help people apply She might to law react school. well to that. It's like, look, if you want to help, what I will take is some financing yeah, yeah, a coach. Yeah. But like- You give me $500 and I'll go get someone who actually knows, knows what, what the hell saying, they're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I will listen to them. Yeah. And that might make Because your goals are aligned, weirdly yeah. enough. You both, here's the strange thing. You both want you to get into law school. And that's what your mom is trying yeah, to help with. Too. Yeah. And what she's doing is making you feel smothered and probably not helping that much unless she happens to be a subject matter expert on applying to law school. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is help her feel like she's helping while actually helping by showing her how she can contribute in a way that's additive, which yeah. I think is by getting you an LSAT tutor and a coach, a yeah. coach for applying to this stuff, mm-hmm. which would be dope. Then she'll get off your back and you'll, you'll be, be in a better spot. Yeah. You'll actually get into law school. Cool. cool. Last one. I mean, that was the last one. Nice. Nice. All right. Patrons, here we come. If you guys want to check out the Patreon, any level, uh, we, we, I have a, quite a few, right? If you know what, what are our questions like that we're going to answer today, Justin? Yeah, yeah, we'll give you guys a sneak preview. 
So this week we're going to talk about um, crafting a great D&D player. <laughs> uh, we're nice. going to talk about cheating girlfriends. And Ooh. then a lot more controversial stuff this time. Like okay. what? We have uh, trusting scientific claims on the vaccine. Talking about vasectomies. Ooh. We're going to talk about uh, white people racism. Nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, if, if any of that of, is I thought a lot about vasectomies, so I look forward to that one. <laughs> if, any, if that any of that interests you, we will we'll give a little preview uh, in the future. And you want to check that out. I believe it's lowest is $3 a month. It helps us keep going. It all goes to Justin. Uh, and it really does help the podcast. So hope that you guys decide to check that out. Either way, we appreciate you. See you soon. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.